Hamilton hits back. Lewis makes 24 passes in one race weekend to beat Max Verstappen in Brazil and keep his championship hopes alive. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name is Michael Laminato and welcome to round 19, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race simulator. Download it for free for iOS and Android. The entire Sao Paulo weekend was a roller coaster from start to finish. Mercedes had the fastest car thanks to its impressive straight line speed, even with a hefty load of downforce that meant it was able to maintain balance and keep its tyres alive longer than anyone else. Hamilton used this unbeatable combination to dominate qualifying, but a technical disqualification sent him to last on the sprint grid. He then made up 15 places on Saturday, but then dropped another 5 with an engine change penalty for Sunday. But in the race, there was no looking back. Up to third after just five laps, Lewis Hamilton was a man on a mission to keep alive his shot at an eighth world championship. Mercedes timed its stops perfectly, undercutting with the first to close the gap to Verstappen and running long with the second to give Hamilton some extra grip to seize the lead. And after some questionable defending from Verstappen, the Briton was through with a beautiful piece of racing 12 laps from the flag to record one of the best victories of his career. What made Mercedes so dominant in Brazil? And can it maintain this momentum this weekend in Qatar? To discuss this wacky weekend in Sao Paulo, I'm joined by BBC Pit Lane reporter Jenny Gao. Jenny, welcome back to the Strategy Report. Ah, oh, it's good to be here. It feels like almost <laughs> a second home that I only go to like a, a luxury resident of Monaco. <laughs> it's it's very comfortable and I'm privileged to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, such a, an incredible analogy. The best we've ever had. So I'm pleased, to, <laughs> I'm pleased to know it. But what a weekend we get to talk about because this was... It really felt like another level in every sense of this championship and in the sense of Lewis Hamilton as well. I can't remember the last time Mercedes had as well such a strong car but still had such an exciting result. Yeah, absolutely. So I I have to do like updates into various different bits of the BBC and every now and then Radio 4 BBC's Radio 4 asked me to come on and do and do something. And you know it's been a dramatic weekend when I have to put on my poshest English accent to go, yes, it was a very interesting race this weekend because Mercedes found themselves really up against it. But they managed to overturn all of the decisions that went against them. And by hook or by crook, they were the victors. Um, so that's what I did. And it was a thrilling thrilling weekend of ups and downs of politics of drama of technical infringements you name it it's like the whole book was thrown at f1 this weekend and it all stuck and it was a great underdog tale and we it feels almost impossible to Mm. say lewis hamilton and mercedes is an underdog tale but it was and that i think michael is what made it a thing of such beauty. And an incredible weekend when you get to reference the International Sporting Code not once but twice. So, <laughs> you know, it's been a real high mark for the championship. There's this question that is certainly circulating after this weekend. I think Lewis really put it out there because he is a man on the one hand to say that he can't remember any of his career, if you ask him about it, but has also suggested this might be one of the best wins of his career. Obviously, I mean, I can't remember all 101 of his victories, much less all of his other races, in which he's also done pretty well. But where does this performance in a more general sense rank for you, for Lewis? Because he did have it all to do, but he also seemed to make it look very easy. Right at the top. Really right at the top. Um, I started actually in the Formula One paddock in 2011 and he's had some good drives. Mm -hmm. Undoubtedly, he's won a lot of races, (laughs) but he was on another level. And I think back to 
was his amazing pole lap in Singapore when he was almost like it was just a thing of beauty mm-hmm. to watch. Um, I'm trying to think back of the year and I should know it off the top of my head. I want to say 16 or 17, but we've seen some pole performances from Lewis, which have been extraordinary and almost as if he's channeling something, another level. Um, and this performance across the entire weekend was exactly that. It was as if he was touched by a supernatural power and he was just extraordinary. I think extraordinary is a really great way to describe it because it did feel like, and we'll talk about the car in a second and why everything seemed to kind of work a little bit for Mercedes, even when it didn't seem to be working this weekend. But there did seem to be a different energy as well. I think especially, certainly with Lewis putting that to one side though, but especially with Toto Wolf, which is kind of weird. He's normally pretty calm. You know, he has his choice sound bites and all that kind of thing. He knows when to fire up, I suppose. But it felt like Mercedes just generally had a different energy this weekend. And I'm interested in your take on it because coming into this weekend, it felt like as much as momentum swung pretty wildly this season, it did feel like we were getting to that do or die part of the year. You know, another win for Max might have done it. Is this just, you know, Mercedes waking up to, for the first time in many years, the prospect of losing? Was there something else going on this weekend? It did feel very primal. Um, and looking at the scenes in the garage with Toto Wolf, you know, looking down the barrel of the camera <laughs> and swearing. Um, and, you know, we're used to Toto Wolf being this very polished, um, well presented, me- methodical man who leads this fabulous team um, in their like to, you know, get another world championship, to, you know, get another driver's championship. And I think you're right. This battle this season has been so intense and it's so partisan and it's very personal now, I think, between Christian Horner and Toto Wolff. And you just have to listen to some of the sound bites coming out of them at the weekend to, to understand that this is, the next level. I mean, Toto Wolf said, um, I think the team has always been together that these decisions have brought us so close together that it's against us. Um, that is what Lewis felt all his life. And now we feel it together as a team. We're going to fight. We're not going to be victims. And how strong is that? Yeah. This is Toto Wolf. This is a sport, but this is another level. And I feel they feel almost affronted by what's happened this weekend and all of the events that took place. And they just came out and said, enough is enough. Right. We, one way or another, we are going to get them. And this is personal and this is against Red Bull and this is against the FIA maybe a little bit as well, even though they'll say it isn't this. Everyone was going for them. And, you know, the, the um, inscription on the back of Lewis Hamilton's helmet that he has raced with for years, still I rise. Never has that been more appropriate. Right, he did a lot of rising through the course of this. He overtook more cars than there are on the grid, which is a statistic <laughs> I'm not sure has ever will ever be matched or might be, you know, but certainly <laughs> never been done. Let's talk about that car and some of those challenges because Mercedes arrived and Lewis Hamilton certainly projected uh, a bit of pessimism arriving this weekend. The engine penalty is what started them off. And I want to start there because it was only five places, but that was the fifth engine penalty in six weekends for Mercedes. Pretty unusual. A Honda even said that they were shocked by the unreliability. And that's, I mean, fast forward only two, or rewind only two years. Incredible. That's 55 places cumulatively over um, six weekends. 
they suggested, though, that there was a bit more of a tactical element about this. Not simply that it's unreliability for Mercedes, but that it was for purely performance terms. How much... I mean, it seems like an inspired move in retrospect, obviously, but (laughs) how much was... how much does that show, I suppose, I don't know if uh, desperation is exactly the right word here, but to throw engines and, and penalties at your car for a performance advantage is certainly a a realm of racing we haven't really encountered. It's a funny one. This season, obviously, we've been confined to having just the three power units and nobody's managed to do that. Everybody's got penalties. But also this year has been the first time I think we've really seen a major reliability issue for Mercedes. Yes, of course, in you know 2016, when Rosberg won, Hamilton was beset with problem after problem with his car. It was reliability, many people think, that cost him that world title and, and not very much else. Double points didn't help at the end of the season, but there we go. Um, whereas this is you know a part or a series of parts on the Mercedes, which isn't working. They've found fault with the internal combustion engine. They won't go into detail about what it is, but they've had to keep on upgrading it to try and resolve this issue. And I think it's very much a case of, right, we think we fixed it, pop a new ice in Bottas's car because he's the one that we can afford to take the penalties of more. Um, he's not in contention for the championship. Well, so we'll pop the upgrade in his, see if it works. And then when it, when it does work or it proves more reliable, we can put that step into Lewis Hamilton's car. And then hopefully it will improve the reliability, but also the performance. So each new power unit you put in, especially a new internal combustion engine, you're going to get a little bit more horsepower, but it's only a little bit. It's not eons. Um, But equally, if you can nail the reliability and you give yourself a spare engine, which is in essence what Mercedes have now done, they've got two engines in the pool, it means they can run it to a higher level of efficiency so they can get more RPMs out of it. They can really push it, whereas before they had to nurse it because if it went boom in the middle of a race weekend, that was a problem for Lewis. A DNF disastrous for Lewis. So I think if you put the combination of obviously the upgraded power unit together with the fact that they're able to push it harder, this is where a level of the jump has come from. Now, there's a lot of rumors circulating about Mercedes, a lot of them from Dr. Helmut Marco, um, <laughs> who was you know, saying, oh, they've, they've managed to get, hang on, I've, I wrote it down because I was so astonished by the whole thing. Um, he said they were getting 25 to 27 kph. Um, faster than Red Bull all of a sudden. And that number is just not correct. But they did have a hoof of pace, didn't they? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to quantify it. And Mercedes will not tell us, of course, they won't tell us what it's all down to. So we're all playing a guessing game. But my word, that worked for them. I think we can all agree on that. Yes, I think absolutely. I mean, it's an incredible result this weekend, whichever way or however we want to divide it up in terms of what was responsible for it. The engine was part of it. The straight line speed was at the crux of it. But before I do get on to, let's say, the actual events of the race, there is this off-track element forming and it is starting to have a more or has certainly has the potential to have a more material impact on the championship than just being a great sideshow, I guess, for want of a better term. There was Hamilton being thrown out of qualifying and that was not... Uh, on account of Red Bull racing, but certainly Red Bull has been talking a lot about the rear wings, and we know that Red Bull was 
talking to the FIA about suspicions before the FIA and scrutineering eventually went and discovered this uh, incidental problem with the rear wing, for example. This is the latest in a long line of things. We know there was the flexible, again, flexible wings earlier in the year. There was also inquiries made about the automation around pit stops, which negatively affected Red Bull in the middle of the season. We're now starting, we, we know the championship's extremely close. We now know one of the things Toto Wolf said this weekend was that diplomacy is dead, that he's going to be really hard at it in terms of how he approaches this kind of stuff in an offensive sense. <laughs> how much, you know, how much potential is there for this, for the championship to be really affected by just that personal element that you mentioned between these teams? I really hope it doesn't. Like, I hope that isn't the defining part of the, the next three races because actually we don't need mm-hmm. it. Because the on-track action is so spectacular. And I'm going to fast forward slightly in where you want to go with this. But if you look at what happened between Max and Lewis and the fact that the stewards seem to turn a total blind eye to Max going very wide (laughs) and pushing Lewis even wider. And apparently that's fine because it's just racing and it doesn't matter if you're on track or not. Um, The fact that they turned a blind eye to that was brilliant for the result, because it meant Lewis had to overtake him fair and square on track. The action was incredible. Lewis won that race. He didn't need the stewards to help him or give you know Max a five-second penalty. And that is how I feel about the rest of the season. We don't need the drama about you know protests and appeals and technical directives and sporting codes and sporting violations. Just let them race because it is fabulous. So with regard then to the the rear wing, and it is weird to talk about all of these things because in the end, Hamilton won anyway. So yeah. we don't get to say, <laughs> well, you know, what happens if it didn't happen? Yeah. But it didn't matter. It was interesting, Toto Wolff's reaction to that, wasn't it? Because he did, and you mentioned this earlier, sort of bring the FIA and the stewards into it in a way that you know, in most sports, most people try not to bring the, the referees into it. The drivers do, but they you know, <laughs> get easily worked up, don't they? That, I mean, he suggested that in other circumstances, that shouldn't have been a penalty. It should have been given an opportunity, essentially, to repair the rear wing rather than it go all this way. Is that? Did you think that was too much? What was your take on that whole 24-hour investigation? I mean, it was all a bit bonkers, wasn't it, in the end? Um, and I understand... Mercedes frustration with this because Red Bull keep on changing mm-hmm. elements of their rear wing after or before quali- um, before qualifying or before the race um, and they don't get penalised for it. However, they don't fail any inspections either. Now, yes, Red Bull were throwing around, you know, a, a lot of accusations to the FIA. They were, sat, you know, seen sitting together discussing things and it's almost as if Christian Horner and, and Dr. Helmut Marco are lobbying the FIA to say, come on, you know, we think this isn't right. We think that isn't right. There's been, as you say, a lot of protests through the season. Um, And it's been quite nasty at times between Red Bull and Mercedes striving for a little bit of advantage. Now, whatever's going on with the Mercedes and, you know, don't even start looking at certain websites because there are so many different conspiracy theories. It's unreal. Is the steering wheel moving or not? Is the wing moving or not? Is that the Red Bull or the Mercedes rear wing moving and flexing? Who knows? Um, It's, you know, these are very clever people. They're some of the top engineers in the world. The FIA have now got some of the top engineers in the world to try and work to, to make sure nobody's cheating. So we have to 
we have to have faith in the FIA because if we don't, we're basically saying the sport we all love and follow isn't run properly. So what's the point of following it and loving it? So I think part of you has to sign up to the fact that what the FIA are doing is right and proper. And they are doing all they can to make sure this sport is run in the best way and the fairest way possible. And who knows what Mercedes are actually doing with that rear wing, whether it's fair and proper or not. But at the moment, yes, they failed one test, but it was only on one wing. It was so tight. Was it 0.2 mm-hmm. millimeters was the, the difference of, of where it should have been to what it was. And that was only a one side of the rear wing. So we're not talking about them maliciously doing something. But equally, Red Bull feel they are doing something which isn't appropriate. It's got nothing to do with the penalty that we saw at the weekend with the DRS opening a little bit too wide. It's something else. We just don't know what it is. But that's F1, isn't it? It's smoke and mirrors all the time. Will we get to the bottom of it? Will, I don't know, Drive to Survive <laughs> manage to uncover some footage that's never been seen up before? And next March, we'll all be sitting there at the premiere going, <laughs> oh, oh, that's, oh, that's what it was all about. Right, you see. Um, who knows? Yeah, maybe we'll even find out what Ferrari was doing with the engine all those years ago as well. But seems unlikely. <laughs> it all seems. Ship has <laughs> sailed. Long gone. Sayonara, suckers. <laughs> that's what they're saying, probably. As they've managed to again find an incredible turn of pace at the right time of a championship. When no one's looking, <laughs> you can do whatever you like. That's the whole point, right? That's yeah. how it works. It is an interesting yeah, thing. Sure. It is an interesting thing. <laughs> There's, of course, also the twist, but let's talk about the race now that Max Verstappen managed to get a, well, massive by mortal means fine for touching a rear wing, which I think just sort of enhances that personal sort of element of all of this thing. But let's talk about that defensive move because this was the crux of the race. You know, Mercedes played well in terms of the first pit stop, putting Max under a little bit of pressure, undercutting, getting to within that one and a half second distance to to ensure that Max was using the most of his tyres, forcing him into an early stop to guarantee track position, which led to this moment, lap 48, Lewis Hamilton sort of managed to almost get around the outside of turn four. We know, we've already talked about this a little bit. We've mentioned that Max sort of ran him wide. I was surprised this wasn't at least investigated, though, because I am kind of with you here. With these two guys, you know, they're the championship contenders. They don't really need to be interfered with in terms of the stewards. But I was surprised there wasn't that much looked into it, at least to begin with. What did you think? Preposterous. I mean, I can't work it out. So the FIA have all of the tools that one could possibly want. They have CCTV footage. They have all of the onboards. They have the circuit television. They then have um, all of the telemetry accessible to them if they choose to look down there. They just duck the bullet. <laughs> Don't you think? Like they were just like, "Ooh, this is a bit controversial. Let's just <laughs> let's just not pick up the phone." Let's just put our like cool diver on and just not be here. <laughs> We've had, a, I mean, they had had a lot to deal with. And I would say, I mean, I, I've been on the stewarding course. I understand the stewarding decisions that they make a lot of the time because I've done that course and it's fascinating. But I have to say, if you could pick your stewards for a race weekend, I would suggest that you wouldn't have picked the four people that we had from the stewarding committee um, because you never put your four strongest stewards all together. You spread it out across the season. And, you know, I I don't want to name names because it seems a bit too personal, but I think there are more experienced, more um, driver stewards who have a lot more of 
those big decisions behind them. And maybe they wouldn't have ducked it. I don't know. But it seems to me, I think Michael Massey came out afterwards and said, oh, if we'd have had the onboard, if we'd have had the telemetry, and it's the onboard from Max's car in particular that I think has thrown shade onto the move and the fact that F1 haven't broadcasted it and it's not hit socials and stuff like that seems a little bit weird. So yeah, we can put loads of conspiracy theories out there and I can probably slander everybody in the world, (laughs) which I'm desperately trying not to because I don't want to because it was a great race and actually I think it was you know, the decision's made, it's gone now. But I think if there had been different stewards in that office, they might have gone, come on, let's do it, let's bring it on. And if they'd have had a look at the telemetry and if they'd had a look more deeply into it and the onboard, I think they would have found it was easily, you know, not the on move for Max to do. He would have got a five-second penalty. But all of that would have taken a lot of time as well for them to really look into it properly. And it would have probably been settled post-race. And let's face it, when a when a when you see a race like that, a weekend like that, you don't want it decided in the stewards' office. You want it decided on track and not three hours after the race is finished. So I actually think for the benefit of the sport, it was great. And for what we saw on track, it was brilliant. I just think it's it sends and sets a, a worrying precedent that now, you know, Fernando Alonso, what's going to happen next time? <laughs> you know, he's just going to go, yeah, game on. And and young carters and people who are aspiring to be the next Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton will think that that is appropriate driving behaviour. As a listener to this podcast, if you're at home right now or you're in the car, whatever, was that an appropriate way of driving? It's uh, it's That's the beautiful thing about F1. It might be my opinion that it wasn't, but you can have a totally different opinion and that's okay because this year has been spiky on, you know, on social media, on podcasts, people have been at each other's throats. It's fine to disagree. We all witnessed a fabulous race and that's the most important thing. It's better to have something to argue about than nothing to argue about, I suppose, isn't it? Like that's... Mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this year, I don't know. I think I said yesterday, uh, I always do a like, drive the day and rate the race um on socials after after each grand prix and uh yesterday i think was the first time i came away going oh we actually all agree oh. we all agree on something the, the so, social media is not dead wow. we can agree I mean, that is impressive <laughs> even verstappen fans could agree you must have gone yeah, at just good. the right time i reckon must have been just after lunch or something yeah i think so it's a bit subdued the adrenaline was still running high and they were they were in there. Or maybe yeah. they were just shattered. It would have been such a long weekend. Everybody on social media land was just exhausted. So just agreed with me for the sake of keeping me quiet. Either way, it's a good thing. <laughs> can be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the approach here is interesting because we heard Max at the second stop, you know, desperation is too strong a word, but he knew that his, his number was coming up essentially. He knew he didn't have the pace. The Red Bull car just did not have the pace this weekend. Urged the team to stop as early as possible to make sure he could bank track position, which he did. It was a very short middle stint. Tiny. Pretty short, considering it was the hard tyre. Almost forgettable, really. It probably would have only been 15 minutes in terms of the race. Yeah. Interesting then, I think, and I wonder as we get closer to the end of the season, this goes back to something that some of the team principals have said, the idea that you know, when it gets tighter and tighter, when you've got fewer and fewer races, it does come to blows. Is it too much to read into this being a race Max knew he couldn't win, or he's very unlikely to win, to then throw a defensive move like that when, you know, he probably could have seen second place coming? So, 
I mean, this isn't the first time, is it, mm. that we've seen Max? Um, and I don't, I don't think oh, it's so difficult to know how aggressive, how offensive it was. I think it's just his style is that he will not yield. And we have seen this time and time again. And it's when Hamilton won't yield. And now everyone will be like, oh, she's a Hamilton bias, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, when Hamilton yields, they save the corner. They don't crash. If Hamilton does not yield, Monza, they crash. Silverstone, they crash. Um, and so I think desperation is a good word in terms of the championship, because if you look back at Silverstone, when Hamilton did the wrong thing and was you know, judged by the stewards to have done the wrong thing because they did investigate it there, funnily <laughs> enough, um, then it was because Hamilton did not yield. And Hamilton did yield on this occasion because he couldn't afford to have a shunt because he knows if he does not finish that race, Max can go away with the title. So I think Max can afford to be more aggressive with Lewis. Lewis cannot afford to get tangled up with Max for the sake of his championship challenge. Now, the gap is only 14 points, so maybe it resets slightly going into Qatar. But I still think Hamilton is... When it comes to his racing ability, his race craft, his knowledge of racing, he's very intelligent. And he is now looking at Max Verstappen, looking at this Red Bull target because he feels this is, you know, he feels aggrieved by the current situation. And, um, and that's fired him up. So I don't know what, what we'll see in the last three races. I think, I hope for everybody's sake that they can keep it respectful on track and that it doesn't get decided by one driver booting the other off because that would be incredibly sad for everybody um it, i don't I, i'm so torn i think max <laughs> has had the perfect season this year he is a worthy champion right now and right now most seasons would have been done and he would have been crowned champion already and he has been faultless many times was he faultless in the race in um, Brazil? No. And I, I feel that pressure now could decide this championship, how they react, how much it matters to them. Michael, how many times have you heard Max Verstappen saying, won't change my life, doesn't matter? Yeah, he loves to say it. Pretty, probably in his helmet somewhere. Do you think it's true? I, str- I feel like he's got to feel it eventually, but I have been impressed that we're now three rounds close to the end of the season and he's just shown no sign of it at all for a guy who's so young and I guess relatively experienced because he has been around for a long time but not experienced in title fights I have been surprised that we're so close to the end of the season and there's been there has been no sign of it no it's I think it's just a fascinating contest isn't it and I hope they kind of are level on pace for the rest Mm. of the season I hope it's fair and I just hope it, it you know it shows us motorsport fans that there's life in the old dog, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to the ch- world championship. But can you remember, like three years ago, mm-hmm. F1 was dead and buried. It was like, oh, what are we going to do now? <laughs> like, this is turning into like a historical championship. It's just dull. <laughs> they were losing, hemorrhaging TV audiences. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, F1's the best sport in the world. Everyone's enthused about it. And, you know, TV ratings have gone up, radio ratings, podcasts, everyone's listening because <laughs> you can't get enough of it. It's been an incredible season. It absolutely has been. There's one other element I think that could potentially decide 
or have an effect on this season, and that is the second drivers in this championship, mm-hmm. Sergio Perez and Valtteri Bottas. Bottas finished on the podium in the end, had an up-and-down weekend like I guess Mercedes did in general. One, the sprint did not do so well off the line. The second time around in the Grand Prix, he got stuck behind Perez early. It's interesting to decide who, which of the second drivers, I guess, had the better race because Bottas did get stuck behind Perez, potentially could have caught Verstappen at the end had that not happened. But then you'd say by that same token, Perez did enough, really, because he defended Max's second place. And, you know, had Max been third, we'd be looking at a, even though it's only a couple of points, almost a dramatically different title picture, I'd say, heading into the third last round of the season. How did you evaluate, I guess, the second drivers this weekend? Because I feel like in the last month or two, we've had opportunities to say, well, Perez is he's here, he's here, and then now he's not so much. And Bottas, well, new contract means he's a new man, and then he still can't start races all that well. I think, so Perez and Hamilton, that battle um, around lap, I was thinking it was lap 19, mm-hmm. was fabulous. Just watching the two of them duke it out on track. It was great. It was, you know, Hamilton overtakes Perez, then Perez is like, no, wait, it is mine. I'm going to overtake you again. And, you know, just watching that battle was joyful it was joyous and joyful it was great and i i feel like the flashes that we get from perez are really really wonderful however i actually think it is what it is in that you have two of the best drivers maybe we've ever seen in formula one in verstappen and hamilton anybody that you put alongside them is gonna look kind of bland in a second driver role you want someone kind of bland Mm -hmm. in a second driver role in that scenario as well because you don't want them to upstage your star you don't want them to win a race when the other person can you want them to follow team orders so I feel that both of them have the potential to do more for their teams but actually are they are they good enough to beat the other driver no on a rare occasion, Bottas or Perez might be good enough to beat the others. But in general, Hamilton and Verstappen are so good, so talented, so clever, so race worthy that anybody else, I think, at this moment in time will pale into insignificance. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing Perez and Bottas effectively not being able to help because it just comes down to these two wonderful drivers on track battling it out and I think that's what we're going to see so who who's better place to help that I, I think they're dead level Bottas is rather ineffective when it comes to racing he can't seem to overtake where Hamilton can remember they're in the same car um, and yet still Bottas can't make his way through the field and if he'd have started at the back of the grid he probably would have finished around the back of the grid he certainly wouldn't have made it up to fifth place um, in that sprint. And Perez can do amazing things with a car, but he can't really qualify that well. So if you took all the best bits from Perez and the best bits from Bottas, you might have someone that can really help their teammate. But at the moment, this is Hamilton and Verstappen and they are their own islands. And I don't think it's going to come down very much to the, to the other drivers. I think it's almost an irrelevance to them. Uh, it's interesting as well because Valtteri Bottas, for example, in this race suggested he should have been on a one-stop strategy. He thinks he could have got, he could have secured a one-two finish had that been the case. Mercedes clearly disagreed, although, I mean, it was a pretty easy decision for them to stop early because the virtual safety car meant he got ahead of Perez, so the decision was sort of half-made already at that point. Surprised me a little bit that not one of them tried considering they were 
pretty far off the lead battle. It was essentially between the two of them and they ended up running the same strategy, tend to get the same results, and that is the case. But it strikes me as well that considering they are off the pace, it's almost like they're ignored a little bit even in that fight. And that's completely understandable. It's not the title fight, but it was a combination of that, Bottas feeling a little bit sort of not listened to in this race. There's also this bit of on-car footage, and it's a little bit removed from context, but of Sergio Perez walking back to his garage and sort of throwing his gloves on the ground like a really dejected Perez because his race was kind of forgotten about, I suppose. And I wonder what that second seat holds for both of them. We know Red Bull's second seat troubles are sort of long-running, aren't they? Perez has sort of had a good job of it, but he's had these off races. And we know George Russell is rocking up in the Mercedes next year. And <laughs> yeah. if the focus is still on Hamilton, is that more of a risk, I guess, for him when we consider that strategy will always be focused around Hamilton as the lead driver? I think actually Mercedes are quite fair going into a season. And at the beginning, like Red Bull have always got their star driver. It will always be Max Verstappen and they will favour Max Verstappen unless, you know, something extraordinary happened. He's the Red Bull golden child. And whilst Lewis Hamilton is the Mercedes golden child, it's in a slightly different way because he every year he earns it. Every year he walks away with a championship lead that means he becomes the number one driver. And every year, I believe, Mercedes reset that. And if George Russell came in next year, and I don't think this will happen, but let's say he won the first six races, then they, they would have to pile on and support George Russell and Hamilton would have to play ball. Um, so I think it's a different landscape when it comes to second drivers with Mercedes and Red Bull. I, I think I think it's always slightly fairer, but I agree with you that the second drivers, as I say, they, they're almost an irrelevance this year for the last few races. They're forgotten about. But actually, they ha- they are very significant, because this has now just come down for a tit-for-tat battle of which driver can I sacrifice to get fastest lap? And that's their only use. It's to snatch a point away from the other team, from the other driver. Um, we saw it with Bottas last time out. It took him two bites of the cherry in Mexico to actually manage the fastest lap. And then we saw it with Perez this time out. And people are outraged saying, oh, you know, why are they sacrificing it? It's so petty. It's a point. And if things work out the way they look like they could do, by the time we get to Abu Dhabi, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton will be level on points going into it. So you can kind of forget about the whole rest of the season because it will come down to whoever wins the race in Abu Dhabi. And fastest point may well be relevant. So all this is when it comes to Perez versus Bottas is who gets fastest point. That's all the team really think about right now. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like yeah. this battle for this irrelevant point that is the most important point in Formula One. I think that every year it should be named the commemorative point of whoever got the most last year. It could be the Valtteri Bottas commemorative point next year, which <laughs> has a ring to that. it. I love that. And at the moment, it's worth also remembering that Verstappen has nine wins and Hamilton has six wins to his name. So th- they can only be, you know, it, it will be decided at the end because because of the win rate and also because it will you know if it comes down to whoever crosses the line first in Abu Dhabi it's going to be thrilling it really will be that's the way the podium panned out in Interlagos Bottas got third Ferrari drivers had a battle amongst themselves Pierre Gasly just behind it just uh, fended off the one stopping Alpine uh, drivers which means the battle for fifth is still drawn still tied after another race 
And Lando Norris recovered to score one point, essentially with a one-stop as well after pitting on the first lap with a puncture. That's how the not-Brazilian Grand Prix unfolded, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix (laughs) unfolded. I do love the left-of-field race names. But I'm also excited because this is a question I've got to ask at the end of every race for the second half of the season. And I'm glad we still don't have an answer. But how is this season going to end? What do you think? It's only 14 points between them, 11 in the constructors' standings. What are we going to be talking about at the end of Abu Dhabi? I just don't know. Like, <laughs> it, and if even and if even the experts in Formula One don't know, then how are we to know? You know, this is the ebb and flow of this year's championship has been crazy. Like, I keep a book, a notebook of who's been leading which championship and by how much. And the, the colours, I'll show you. This will be really good feature for the bit on the podcast. I'll show you the colours have ducked and dived. You know, there's mm. been a little bit of this, a little bit of that when it comes to Red Bull versus Mercedes. It's the first time Mercedes have had a real fight for a championship. And I I think they'll come out on top because they've got the experience. I just want it to be great. Yeah. That's all I care <laughs> yes. about. I don't really, I didn't really mind who wins. I just want it to be on the right way. I want it to go down to the wire. And I want us all to be on the edge of our seats come Abu Dhabi. Now I've got friends that were screaming at the television yesterday and I want it to be that again. I want us all to fall in love with F1 because it's done itself justice. And I want it to be settled on track in the best way possible. I don't care who wins. Just just do it well. You want Formula One to win? No one can complain about that. I want us to win. Us <laughs> as a community listening to your podcast. We can be winners. What a beautiful note to end on. Absolutely wonderful. What a positive affirmation. Yes, the most positive we've probably (laughs) ever ended on, to be honest. Jenny, it's been a pleasure, absolutely, to talk to you this week. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Um, And I can't wait for the end of the season. Three races. I'm packing my bags. I'm off to Qatar in a couple of days. And uh, it's going to be awesome. There was a different energy about Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton this weekend. A loss would have meant staring down the barrel of championship defeat. This win not only keeps those hopes alive, but the way in which Hamilton won it, with Red Bull Racing confounded by the Mercedes car's performance, might be enough to generate some much-needed momentum. Whatever the case, it was a fascinating race in this thrilling season. And thanks very much to Jenny for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race strategy simulator. Download Apex Race Manager for free for iOS and Android devices. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts to ensure you never miss an episode. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. And you can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you next week week for a review of the first ever Qatar Grand Prix.